Mic check one two. Mic check one two. Mic check one two. On the edge with. On the edge with. Detangling. Detangling. Should we drop the beat? Should we drop the beat? Hey, hello, and welcome to season two of On the Edge with Eddie. Like always, I am your host, Eddie Etsy. I am excited for you to be joining our journey to explore the different shades of Black identities, um, have real conversations and discussions. And listen, our discussions and stories and dis- uh, our discussions, stories and conversations are not meant to degrade. They're not meant to discourage. They're not meant to prove a point. Exploring our Black identities is all about learning, empowering, giving people a voice to tell a story and tell their stories. And at times be a voice for people who don't feel comfortable speaking out. Hashtag, not all Black people are the same. Hey, listen, season two is going to be lit I have amazing lineup and I can't, I can't even talk about that right now, but today's story though, like today who I have with me, I am just super stoked because today's story is all about resilience. It's about determination. It's about perseverance and it's about pure tenacity. I have here with me Jeanette Lavi. Hey, what's going on? Listen, let me tell you you a little bit about Jeanette. Okay. So She grew up in a war-torn country, lived in refugee camps, a product of African World War, and all of that, she is now a family nurse practitioner extraordinary, content creator and influencer, educating people about nursing, travel, COVID, and whatnot. Um, She studied nursing at the University of Iowa, along with international, international studies double major, with a little bit of African studies, of course. While she was standing there, she was awarded the Diversity Ambassador Scholarship and three different grants to support global health research, right? And that's something that she developed working with one of the faculty members. Um, She then got a master's degree in Texas, Arlington, studied abroad also when she was at Iowa in India, Uganda, the Gambia. She spent weeks in underserved communities where she learned a lot about nursing and global health. Listen, I am excited to have (laughs) Nurse Lavi with me. What's going on? Bonjour, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, bonjour, bonjour. (laughs) You make me sound so sophisticated. Well, listen, you are more than sophisticated because I've been meaning to detangle you for a really long time. And the timing hasn't been right. But with COVID, with health and everything going on, I'm finally finally super excited that we get to sit down and detangle (laughs) Nurse Lavi. So, yes. so 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 let me let me let me ask you this i don't know if you remember but like many <laughs> many many years ago um, and i'm gonna use your own words when we were rusty right? <laughs> um, i asked yes. you to have lunch with me in the hospital it was the university of a hospital <laughs> um i don't i think you were either a nursing student or doing a, a nursing assistant um job there <laughs> yes. and i was like Hey, Janae, you should have lunch and let's talk about something, right? Um, <laughs> yes. and I remember you're like, oh, okay, yeah, what exactly does Eddie want to talk to me about? And so we met, and I was like, I am planning on starting this nonprofit organization. This this is like what 16, 17 years ago. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm planning on starting this organization. And I I, I think you would be great at it. I think you are going to be awesome. You're doing great, amazing things. Like, 
we should talk do you remember that conversation like you know what now I do I was trying to think about how we met the fact that you remember that is just amazing that's impressive yeah it was yeah it was in the cafeteria <laughs> like I was like I was like oh I need to talk to Jeanette because like she's going to do amazing things I'm like I need to have her help me with this organization which I ended up you know like starting the nonprofit at these teddies um, but you and I still need to like go back to East Africa and talk about, you know, how we can help, you know, the DRC and, you know, like, you know, the, the Gambia and some of the East African countries. Like we still yes. have a lot to do there, right? <laughs> Wait, um, that's not how we met. How did we meet though? Were we both working at the University of Iowa? I think I, you were still a student. So I, yeah, I think we're both students at the University of Iowa. Yep. Yes. Um, and I don't, yeah, I honestly don't remember how we actually met, but I know we did go to a lot of African um, association parties together. That's true. Um, we had a lot of friends, uh, mutual yeah, friends. Yeah, we, we did. Yeah. And then, of course, then I started having like parties in my house all the time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> um, having like <laughs> gatherings. Having the food was amazing. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. No, it has been a minute. So, yes. Anyway, I am so happy to have you on the edge with Eddie. I'm excited um, to be here. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So listen, you grew up in a war zone, right? First of all, like, tell me a little bit about what it's like growing up in East Africa in a war zone as, as a child. What, what is that like? So people understand that, you know, it's not when they say war zone. I mean, you probably you know, in your head, died a couple times, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Um, um, mostly, let me uh, just a little correction. I spent most of my time in Central Africa, actually. Okay. My okay. very experience with war, I was five years old. Oof. Okay, that that was the Hutu. I don't. I'm not sure. A lot of Africans know this, and just the world, yeah, uh, the, the Hutu, the Hutu and the, yeah, yeah. the Tutsis. Yep. Yes, yep. I was five years old when the, that war started, and my 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 father was working in Burundi at the at the time mm. where I was born. And uh, I remember having to move back to the Congo because that's uh, my the home of origin. That's where my parents were born. And that was when I actually visited, uh, I mean, got to live in the Congo for the first time at five years old. And we moved from Burundi where I was born, moved to the Congo. Um, and then after I believe five, no, four years later, um, when I was about nine, the war in the Congo started. Okay, so, and that went wow. on until I was about 12, 13 years old. We were yeah. living in the Congo while the war was going on. So yeah, I spent, most of my childhood in you know getting acquainted with bullet bullet uh, sounds you, and yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's just yeah. you know yeah so i don't want to make i don't want to visualize you guys can kind of imagine yeah, no, things it, it, that it, happen it's crazy um yeah <laughs> so you know like i was saying my sister uh, my little sister who is now you know fabulous um doctor now um her husband uh moved to drc to start churches right you know, and yes. so, you know, and they were, they were in Kinshasa. And I remember stories of her telling me that um, I'll be talking on the phone and there'll be like bullets in the background. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. like, gunshots in the background. I was like, what is going on? And she'd be like, oh yeah, there are just people shooting each other. And it was like, and you, what's, you're okay with that? It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's a natural occurrence here. You know, we have seriously at, at like seven o'clock, we'll have to be inside our house. Um, yep. And if you go out, you might get shot. And I'm just like, 
Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Like people don't can't really visualize what a war zone actually looks like until you actually live there. Exactly. Um, you know, and you know, you've gone through that. You've you know, you've gone through sort of like life and death situations. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, but again, you know, the 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 story, you know, your story is that's just the beginning of who you are and your story, right? So yes. tell me a little bit about migrating to the United States. Um, you know, yes. and how that whole process, you know, got you to where you are now. Okay, so back to moving back to the Congo when I was nine years old, when the war started. And I remember it started as a joke, you know, we started seeing, you know, there were um, people being robbed and people being killed here and there. But when the war really was going like full blown war, because I lived in the in the Kivu, like what your sister saw, your sister was living in the capital where they had a full military base. They had everything to protect yep. themselves. Right. I grew up in the outskirts, in the like the border of Congo and Burundi and Tanzania. So we were really at the border where we had no military base. We had no police, like very little security. So people had to fend for themselves. So we had to, in order for our family to safely leave other country. So we really went into this whole re-identity, re-identifying right. ourselves in right. order to get out of the country because my, my family comes from a political background. So right. anyway, so we, I remember when I was nine as we were fleeing the country, we walked for three days straight because there were no wow. cars, no transportation. Um, all the, because we, we live by a very big uh, lake, Lake Tanganyika. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it, if you're familiar with it, yeah. but um, we couldn't get a boat to just to go to another country or to even get out of the town that we lived in. We had to walk for three days from one part of town, for one part of the country to another part of the country where, where we, were able, we were smuggled actually into right. Tanzania. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. And I remember when we got when we arrived to Tanzania, all the refugees that were coming from the Congo were put in the refugee camps. And my dad was like, my kids are not going into a refugee camp. So we were hidden for about a month in the house, never saw the sunlight, Dang. never played n nothing. So because the police in Tanzania were actually going around from house to house really doing uh i guess at the yeah, time they called it people, inve yeah, yeah. yes investigation yep. if you hear yep. if you didn't have papers they literally yep. went door to door looking for uh people who did not have the papers if you did not have your papers you went yep. to the refugee camp and i remember one time we actually ran into the woods we had someone looking out uh 24 7 right to look up for the police and if someone came we had a signal my cousins were taking turns and they would signal each other like, oh, they're coming and all the kids will run into the woods so we don't we don't get taken right. to the camps. But finally we got caught and we did end up going to um, the refugee camp, which uh, we didn't, likely my dad had connection because he was a businessman. So he knew right. people in Tanzania. So we were, we didn't stay for a very long time, but it was a very rough time and, um, yeah, so after Tanzania, my dad was like, I don't know about this refugee camp life. I'm gonna go back to the Congo. If we die, I would rather die in my own country. Right. So we went back and we lived with the bulletproofs and the war for another three years. Wow. Before, yeah, before finally got, getting a chance to migrate to the United States. Man, that's, so there, there, there's a lot to unpack there. 
Um, you know, but I'm not going to go into it yet because like as a child, you're running for your life and you're running away from like being killed. You're running away from like everything that and everything you've known to this point is just normal, right? You're just trying to like fend for yourself and your life, right? And yeah. this, that's, that's normal, which is crazy because there are people in the African continent right now, or not even the African continent, parts of the world, Middle East, you know, Asia, that are still living like that right now, right? Oh, yes. It's, it's crazy to me that, you know, we live in America. And, you know, people are like, oh, you know, America is a free country. And, you know, people, blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, stop. There are people suffering in the world right now. Yeah. I'm complaining about your overprivileged life. But <laughs> we'll get to that in a second, too, because I'm just like, I mean, the, yeah, my mind is blown. Um, yeah. So after all of that, um, mm. you know, you finally make it to the U.S. And even making it to the U.S. is not easy because I think, you know, um, my sister have told me stories about how, you know, certain people have to like, you know, change their identities, like you're saying, they have mm -hmm. to change their names so they don't have to go back and trace them. And, yeah. you know, for you not for you to survive the war, you yeah. have to take on a new identity, right? Yes. And yes. you kind of have to leave your identity or who you are yes. back in your country, right? Yes. And, you know, become somebody else. Yes. How, so, again, I, I, I know you probably have friends who have gone through this um, or you've gone through some of this possibly yourself, but tell mm -hmm. me what that does to a person having to leave their identity back in the country that they're from and assume yes. a new identity in a new country. Yes, I mean, to a person, are we talking about a child? Right. Okay, like right. a child. Yeah. At nine years old, you're told, well, this is no longer your first or last name. Your mother, the mother that, this mother is now your auntie mm. or grandmother. Right. Your cousin is now your mother. Your cousin's husband is now your father. and before coming to the United States, people have to practice these things because it is the only, it's their protection. And, and again, yeah. I'm not going to go specifically into the details, and again, you know, right. yeah. um, but I mean, this is a, it's a very difficult thing to do as a child, as a person. It's when you leave your identity, I mean, when you, for, you leave your country, which is also your identity, Right. You leave your country, you, you leave your belongings, you leave your friends, your family, and then to have to assume a completely different name and even birthdays. There mm. are people whose birthdays changed. Right. Now they have, they're really going to, it's like a mental, it's a, not a, what's the word I'm looking for? You're dismantled. Right. You're, you're, yeah. 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 It's so your loss. Yeah. There is a very like lost time and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's the uh, there's the whole concept of intersectionality, oh, intersectionality, right? Because yes. you know, and you know, nowadays we talk about you know, as a person, especially as a black person, you're just not a black person, even though that's how people that's what people see and that's how they treat you. You yes. are you you are you're a woman. You're a nurse. You know, you you have all these other identities. You know, but the crazy thing about this conversation is your main identity those intersectionalities that you had they're completely different yes mostly but you still have you know some level of your blackness right mm -hmm. but you are now a completely 
different person yeah. um, than you were when you were back in the different country. All because yes. you do that so you can survive. Yes, it's a survival uh, tactic. Yeah. It's survival. Yeah. Oh, it's man. the only way. It's the only yeah. thing. And uh, I, I'm able, I was able to keep a part of me because I was old enough to under, kind of understand what was going on. I never understood why the war started at that age. Yeah. But my parents did a very fine job out of explaining why we were doing what we were doing. Mm. Um, you know, but there are children that this kind of things happened to that were three, four, five. Yeah. They do not remember. The only thing they really remembered is their new identities. Right. Right. You know, so it's a whole part of yeah. them. It's like having amnesia without any cause. I mean, right. the yeah. war yeah. is a cause, but having uh, like you don't, you don't know, you don't know who you are, right? Seriously. I mean, you know who you are now, but you didn't know who you are before. Yeah, because right? you forget. Right. And also yeah. because of trauma, you block, you do, you put that memory into a block hole. Mm. You know, because of trauma, you you suppress that memory of your old you. I, I, I struggle a lot when I first moved to the United States, um, coming from a space that it's all black, right? I, I, everybody looks like me, I fit in. And then I get here, I'm just like, nobody looks like me, nobody sounds like me, and everybody wants to make fun of me, right? So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like for you at that age, coming to okay. the United States. You know, English was not your first language, right. and you move into a new space, and there is a lot of white people. I mean, like, what was that like for you as coming from, you know, you know, Central Africa into a white land and you can't really, people don't really understand you. And they're like, what did you say? What did you say? Are you from Africa? Like, tell me more about that. <laughs> yes. So I'm a very, um, I want to say not, I want to say stubborn or uh, tough. Okay. So I think the very first war, because I had been going through war and lived in a war zone for a really long time, I was very used to change. Mm, I okay. learned to, to, uh, to, uh, to adapt to my environment very fast. I learned, uh, so I was, I lived on a survival, I learned survival mechanism for a very young age because that's, that's what I had to do in order to make it from the time right. I was five until I moved here, I moved to the United States when I was 14. So that's years and years of having to adapt to new environments, make new friends, speak new languages, because each country that I, I, we fled from, I had to make a new life. I had yeah. to make new friends. I had to adapt to new foods and learn new languages. So the only thing that was really big in America was really the weather <laughs> and the color of people. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, other than that, like having to uh, learning English was was rough, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I stood my ground and, yep. and uh, I'm a very I pick up. I learned I learned fast and I learned I'm a very practical person. Um, I was listening to your yes, the section with you uh, session with you and your sisters and how you had to take ESL, yeah. which is it stands for English as a second language. Second language yep. Yes. I mean, I was in like three different ESL classes. One was teaching you how to pronounce things, like you just worked at enunciations and pronunciations. The other right. one was about writing, yep. and another one—it it was crazy. But uh, <laughs> that was year one. By yep. year two, I had graduated to two ESL classes, nice, and nice. by year three, year three, I was I was down to one, and I worked my way out yeah. um, to you know know 
English. I think I was in 10th grade when I didn't have to take English classes anymore and I was taking regular English. But, um, and I really worked hard <laughs> right, because right, I learned yeah. English at 14. I came, I went to the United, to Iowa, not speaking a single English word. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 I had to learn right. ABCs, how to say ABCs <laughs> in English. That's right. how basic <laughs> my at, learning. At that time, your English mind was like in, you know, preschool, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. Man. So, so, so you went through all of that. Let's talk a little bit about your blackness, right? Again, the hashtags yes. are all black people are the same. We go, okay. through, we might go through similar experiences, but again, not all black people are the same, right? So, exactly. the, so tell me about an incident or when you first noticed your blackness in Iowa, right? Because you came here and again, you came from a place that, you know, you've probably seen white people, right? And yes. it, it, but it's not a thing, right? But yes. you get here and you're a minority and everybody looks at you differently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about some of that experience coming to Iowa, um, when did you first notice that, oh, my skin color is different here at Iowa and people treat me differently because my skin <laughs> color is different? Yeah, you know, Eddie, um, you know, now that I think back, it's amazing how I really didn't notice my blackness until I, I think I was about, I was either in I was already like 17. I came when I was 14, like three years later. Yep. It's amazing because I didn't notice it at first because I'm not sure if I was, it was one of those things that I just filtered out. Cause I got like, and again, it's part of the war. I was good at right. filtering things that were hurtful to me. I really filtered, filtered them. And it was, I was oblivious. I was very naive when it came to the racial disparity. Yeah, I was very, very naive. I didn't understand like uh, the the whole the blackness entire you know the racial wars that were going on in America. Right. I feel like I didn't really understand them until I re I I was about to graduate high school and was going to college. And once I got to college, that's when I really noticed it. Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah, that's what um, actually led me to uh, minoring in African studies because I did not. It's one of those things, and even in high school when when things would, kids would uh, try to make fun of me. Yep. Yeah, yeah I, I was very good at taking their joke and laughing with them. Right. So they stopped, they never really did it. I was, uh, when people, I see hear people saying they were bullied, I, I didn't really go into the bully stage because I really knew, I knew how to really stand up for myself because it was part of something that I learned from a very young age going through the right. war. Right. Yes, and uh, and again, I learned about my blackness just, and. I remember I actually learned it from from African Americans. Mm, yep. They actually let me know that I was different. Right. It's not the it's not Caucasians. Surprisingly, yeah. I started noticing um, that Caucasians were treating me differently after I noticed that I was being treated differently by African Americans, which is mm. was sad at the time because you know I thought we were all the same, we're but that you were my right. people. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. So yep. they let yep. me know, yep. no, you're yep. different. Yep. You're not like yep. us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that was that was when yeah I was close to graduating high school. Yeah. See again, you know, going back to the comment of all black people are the same. You know, um, a lot of people when you see black, you see black, right? You're like, oh, you know, and you still have you know this preconceived notion of you know this black people are this type or black people are this and black people are that, right? Mm -hmm. But again, you know, there is a lot of sort of conversations or 
you know, a lot of disagreement and there's a lot going on even within the black race itself, right? Yes, absolutely. That, uh, that people don't even just don't talk about, right? Yes. You know, and it, it's crazy because going back to the, the civil war in, in Africa, you know, they're, they're the same people fighting the cultural war, yes. right? And that's sort of what's happening in America within the black yeah. Right. Yes. It's yes. like the same people fighting a civil war within themselves. Yes. Right? And, and and we don't we don't spend enough time talking about that, <laughs> right? Yes. Because it's easy, you know, to say that oh, you know, there's racism and blah blah, and yeah, there is racism, and yeah, there's a lot of like hate crimes and stuff like that. But sometimes, like us black folks, we need to like check ourselves. <laughs> oh yeah. You know? I'm not sure if you've heard of this. I feel like this goes, goes uh, it's very uh, common among women than men, but mm. color, colorism. Yep, yep. Colorism oh, yeah, is absolutely. huge, yeah. um, you know, among us. And I, I feel like the colorism is, almost, is similar to the, colorism in America reminds me of tribalism in, in, in Africa mm. because they don't right. have tribes here. Oh, actually yeah. they do have kind of tribes and you have, you know, like for instance, like the people from, the from west side, uh, the east, uh, yeah, the, the east, east, yep, east yep. and the west, down and the north. South oh and, Lord! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they do. Yeah. You know, you're right. They do. They do. You know, it down south similar. and all those stuff. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. No, no, you're right. Um, so you know, it's interesting because you know, I, I often say. I didn't know what racism was until I got out of college, right? So, yeah. you know, your experience in high school, you know, it so it, it tells me that even if even if you, well, at that time, you didn't even know what racism was. So even if you experienced it, you probably was like, eh, they're just, you know, being whatever, right? Yes. Right? Not that I didn't know what it was. I knew what it was. I knew what racism was because we studied it back home. We studied it in, 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 you know, um, the school education in my country wasn't the greatest and I didn't get to go to school a lot because of the wars. Mm. But whatever I learned, I learned about racism. I learned about colonization. I learned about, you know, slavery. We learned about all that. But it's one of those things that I had bigger problems. I had bigger (laughs) drama, like trauma. It's like, yep experiencing racism was nothing compared to what I had experienced in the back in the Congo. Yeah, so even if I did, I was like, you, right. exactly. I was like, <laughs> right. eh, yeah. I've been through worse. Yep. I've made it. This is yeah. nothing. So it kind of like, like I said, I was picking my battle. I was really good at picking my battle at school. Right. Yeah. So what I think you, that was part of it. So what, what, what quote unquote woke you up? Like what made you like internalize the fact that, oh, dang, like I should pay attention to that. Well, that's uh, that's a really good question. I've never actually thought of that. <laughs> I've never really thought of that. I think it just as I was, I got older and got to understand real life issues. Mm-hmm. And when I once I settled in America and I felt like this feels like home. Yeah. Uh, I'm not running anymore. Right. I think once I realized that America was my new home and I wasn't going to flee again and I wasn't going to run from being killed again um from war that's when I started paying attention to other problems right um like like you said racism because these things didn't really matter to me because I was I was always running from bigger things of course Um, course. yeah yeah I'm gonna take you back a little bit you're in America um and you have a new identity um still a black woman but as kids who and go to high school in america and go to college in america 
we still have African parents. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? When yes. I say we still have African parents, you know, I, I, I see you laughing because you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Because there's certain expectations, you know, growing up in the African home that your parents are like, yeah, you know what? You have to live by a certain standards, right? You're yes. not going to be going out looking all ghetto. You're not going to be going out. You have to dress a certain way. Like, tell me what was it like for you uh, having a new identity, being a country that you're not fleeing anymore, and the Africanness of your parents growing up. How does that play into you growing up in your identity? So... And again, my my situation was a bit unique because I I came here bef be, uh, before I got a chance to come here before my parents, um, my siblings and I, one of my siblings and I came came here before we did few before my parents actually came here. Okay. Um. So it was a couple of years. So I got to learn about these American, you know, the, like the American lifestyle before they did. Right. Okay? Like okay. for yeah. So I so when my parents came. Actually, what saved me is my parents are very open-minded and they really, they, they like to learn. My, my, my father didn't get a chance to go to, 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 go to college. He did right. high school and that was it. My mother didn't even finish high school, but they're very smart individuals and they always like to learn. And again, because we have been moving around for a really long time, my dad uh, was a businessman, um, learning and immersing in a new culture was mm -hmm. one thing that we're very intrigued by and they were actually interested. So what saved me with from the African way of living in America was that when my parents came I actually I felt like I was their parents because mm, okay. I was teaching okay. them things yeah and, and teaching them how to dress ma you can't dress that that's not how they dress in America we're dressing this you can't wear your rapa when it's cold outside right you have yep. to wear this yep. and that so yep. I became their parents like I thought my parents my dad already knew how to drive but I taught my mom how to drive you know, I, I, I taught them how to go to the bank and deposit money. So I became their parent. And because of that, our power dynamic changed. And, and the, just the, they respect, they saw me, even though I was much younger than them, like right, 20 right. some years. And then, but they, my parents looked at me from a very young age as their equal because I was making decisions that, you know, decisions that they could have made, but because they didn't speak the language and didn't know the culture. Yeah. Um, I had to make this, this help them make the decisions and that kind of changed things a bit. So when they, when it came to expectations, I, <laughs> you had, I, you had yeah. expectation for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, of course there are certain things that I couldn't do, like, you know, with my dad, like dating, I couldn't date. I couldn't just bring anybody, anybody that came Right, in the house right. was a friend quote unquote friend there was no <laughs> such thing as boyfriend right boyfriend or everybody was a friend whether it was a male or a girl and right. yeah dating oh, was the biggest thing that i really really had to keep um they they were really watched my dating watch, life yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah uh we'll get into that in a little bit because i think when you grow older it's the opposite this time talking about Oh, you're old now. Why, why don't Why aren't you married, right? Exactly. We start having that conversation. But so, so I want to shift gears a little bit and start talking about you know your profession. Um, yes. You're a nurse. You're yes. a black nurse, right? Yes. 
But before I go into that, I want to read something that, you know, I read from, um, you know, your, your fabulous um, Instagram stories. Again, if you guys don't know about Nurse Lavi, you should go follow her at <laughs> Nurse Lavi. Uh, and we'll so talk sweet. about why, why I think you changed the name, your name, your handle to um, Lavi, which means life, right? Yes. Um, we'll talk about that also. But I want to read something um, that you put. Again, this, you know, cap you know, what we've been talking about growing up and transitioning. In America, one of the questions kids are asked as often as they're old enough to think for themselves is, what do you want to be when you grow up? This question is so bizarre yet empowering to me. Growing up in a country known for its civil wars, killings of innocent children, rape, uh, poverty, I never thought about what or who I wanted to be when I grew up. This was simply because I never thought I would make it to an age old enough to become anyone or anything. Mm-hmm. Dang. All right. I'm going to pause for a second. <laughs> that I'm going to read that again. Okay. This was simply because I never thought I will make it to an age old enough to become anyone or anything. It wasn't until I moved to this country, actually. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to this country. Actually, not until my junior in high school that I began to think about what I wanted to be and about my future as a whole. It was also during this time I began to accept the fact that I was still alive and actually still had a chance at life. Fast forward to today, I'm still here, still working out what I want to be when I grow up. Tell me what was going on when you, what was happening in your head when you wrote that? Like, Tell me, how are you feeling in that moment when you're trying to like put this out there, encouraging people, empowering people, you know, like telling your story of, you know, uh, determination and perseverance, right? Because again, from the beginning, I said, this is a story of resilience, determination, perseverance, and pure tenacity. And what I just read just speaks that. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what was going through my mind when I wrote that, it's, you know, I try to reflect on my life every single day. To me, when I look back, um, I guess like this is a way of me just being grateful for how far I've come and what I've accomplished. And just knowing that I'm here for a reason. There's, there, there are so many in this story that I told you or stories, there were so many opportunities that could have finished me. You know, there's so many, so many places that I could have ended there. And just looking back and just when I reconnect with um, my people back home, I'm reminded every day that I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky to be alive. Right. That I'm, you know, like it it could have been somebody else. It could have been anybody else, but it's me. So to me, I take my survival as it's not for nothing. It's not, it's not going to, you know, it's not in vain. Right. I'm here to do something. I have a purpose. That's the only reason why I'm here. And that's why when I reflect back, I am, I sound like that because every day to me, it's like, wow, am I really here? Right. What do you, you think know, your purpose almost, is? I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think, I don't know exactly what my purpose is. I just know it's, I have a purpose, but yeah. at the same time with the kind of work I do, every day going to work and taking care of patients and you know my patients are amazing and they you know nursing is hard especially these last two years that right. they've been incredibly hard and um 
you know, there, there are times that, especially with COVID, we, we were the only for months, especially when you first started, when the hospitals were not allowing people to, uh, patients to have visitors. Right. We were the only nurses, we're the only faces and other medical providers, but mostly nurses were the only faces that these patients saw. Some of them right. died and we were the last people they saw for, for, for weeks. Right. So that reminded me that, you know, you, you have a purpose. And at that moment, like the times that I lost patients and I was the last person they saw at that moment, that was my, my purpose. Yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk, man. Let's talk. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your profession. Thank you so much <laughs> for like saving lives. Right. I mean, you know, God saved your life by bringing you here. Right. And you reflected upon that. And yes. now you got into a profession to save lives, right? And I don't know yes. if you ever thought about it like that, but that's what I see it. And <laughs> thank you for what you do. Um, you know, thank you for just, you know, sacrificing yourself, right? Yeah. Um, yes. And, you know, and it's not, okay, so it's not just about you being a nurse, right? Mm-hmm. You're a black nurse. <laughs> yes, <laughs> even right? crazier. Let, 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 you know, let, let, and let's, in the let's, south, <laughs> let's just be raw, right? You're a black nurse in Texas. Yes, right. I mean, so I'm. I'm gonna read some. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna get dirty for a second and yeah. let's talk about like black people and COVID. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh my let's talk yes. about black people. And, and I'm gonna read, you know, again, um, you know, you guys, everybody listening, if you need to check out um at nurse Lavi um on Instagram, you need to go follow her, you need to go like follow her stories and her empowerment. It is completely woke. So check <laughs> this out. So you wrote that let's get candid, okay. Let's talk about unpopular, uncomfortable elephant in the room that many healthcare providers do not address. Racial disparities in healthcare. We're talking yes. about Black people getting sick, Black people dying, and all that stuff, right? But let's talk about, you know, some of the facts that you put out there, right? Black yeah. people in America are five times more likely to be hospitalized and die from COVID than white people, right? Yeah. A Black person is twice as likely to get sick and die from high blood pressure diabetes, stroke than a white person. Even when they're eligible for treatment, Black people still receive less and unmet treatment goals than their white counterparts. Black people in America are sicker and die earlier than other racial groups, okay? You're a nurse. Yes. I'm reading that to you. You're a Black nurse. Yes. What yes. is going through your head right now? It's crazy. It, it, it is really crazy why... Um, it's amazing because, you know, I care about everybody. I, my patients are from all kinds of backgrounds and racial groups and ethnicity. But when I see, what hurts me the most is when I see a 35-year-old Black man or woman come in for something like a stroke or heart attack, which is something that I really don't see much in the same age group. Right in other race, races. I mean, the, my, pa- my white patients that have stroke and heart attack, they're in their 70s mm. and 80s. Right. It's very rare that I see a 35 year old white man or woman come to the hospital because they're having a heart attack. Right. So it's really, it really breaks my heart. And uh, also when I'm talking to my, especially my Africans, 
Yep. <laughs> my black people our, our africans yes yes our africans. Yep. Uh-huh. and i am so sorry to say this this might be politically uh controversial but our ignorance when it comes to health care right. um care um topics yep. and i'm not sure if if it's like even their educated patient uh educated right. people yeah. in our communities they still when it comes to health care there's something about it that we just don't care which is very sad yeah. to me because it's like if you don't have your health you really can't do much right do you think it's a cultural thing though right because i mean you know back back at home for me you know healthcare is again it, healthcare is free right you can go and see somebody whether or not you get great health care or not it, it's free right here but or back I, home back home back home Right. You guys so, got free healthcare? Okay. Well, they say it's free, right? But it's not <laughs> yes. if you want like if you want true healthcare, you gotta pay for it. But I mean you have access to medicine and all mm-hmm. that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, back at home, you know, the mentality of when you're sick, right? Oh, you know, just it's okay. Just you know, pray over it and you'll be fine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, when you're sick, just you know, just get some sleep, you'll be fine, right? Yes. I had to have the longest conversation with my parents about you know whether or not to get COVID vaccination because they're like, oh, people are getting COVID vaccination and people are dying. And so, you know, you know, we've heard from America, and Americans are saying that you know, COVID vaccination is it's is is trying to wipe the black people out. So why do we need to take it? <laughs> And I'm like, okay, yo, like you're a highly educated college professor. So I think the mentality that we have, you know, as Africans, right? Yeah. Not yeah. as Black Americans. Again, yeah. I'm not even touching Black Americans yet, but as Africans sort of ruin us when we come to America, right? Yes. And we don't want to go to the hospital because we're like, oh, when we go to the hospital, they're just going to tell us to go sleep it off, Right. Right, which goes into another subject of as a black nurse, right? And yeah. a black man, when I go to the hospital, yeah, I feel like I get talked down upon because they feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. Yes. Right? Uh yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Why? not not yes. I'm not going so the feeling uh talked down upon, I think and I try to talk if you if you if you follow me, which I you do follow me on Instagram, you know, like I've realized that patients, because that feeling, you don't, it's not just uh, from you. I've heard this from my white patients. I've heard it from my black patients and I've heard it, you know, racial disparity aside, um, there is this uh, people just have, you know, with the doctor's reputations for centuries and centuries and centuries, uh, healthcare providers, especially doctors, they've been looked like people give them they've been they've been looked up upon with high regards right Right. like doctors are one of the most most respected members of the community before society yep very yes and that's still today even with our we live in the information era and people people can go on google and become their own doctors but they still come to the hospital um you know, relying on the doctor to basically tell them what to do. And this is when I talk, if you see me addressing my yep. healthcare, my yep. co-workers and colleagues and uh, basically tell them, because I hear when I go into a room and I talk to a patient, I hear their side of the story, but I also get to work side by side with my healthcare providers and I know how we act. And right. I know like we can have, especially when you get to the 
primary care provider, you know, or the main provider giving orders and writing prescriptions, it becomes a power struggle. There's this power of, you know, like this, and I hate to say this, but the doctor mentality or health right. or provider mentality of, I'm going to tell you to take this, 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 and that. And because time is of essence, uh, we have to, we literally paid, we're paid by how many, a doctor is paid by how many minutes they spend with the patient. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the, most of the time, a lot of we we're we're overworked, we're tired. We really patients don't have time. You know, doctors don't. As much as we want to listen to 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 you, as you know, give you all our time, but we have like hundreds of other patients to see. So you find it's it's all about power, the power dynamic and the time constraints. So you see doctors talking to you, telling you what to do rather than listening to you. Now, what I try to dismantle my healthcare provider, my colleagues, I'm like, yeah. you actually, you actually can find a solution for your patient's problem if you allow them to talk. Mm -hmm. For instance, my patient come, I had a patient come in not too long ago with, you know, high blood pressure and, and high um, heart rate. And, you know, I could have been, I almost did. I could have been like, okay, we're going to increase your, your blood pressure medication. I don't think it's enough. But if I took two minutes, not even two minutes to find out that the patient had been out of medication for a month. Mm. And then they came, they were running because they were running late to their appointment. That's why their heart rate was up. So just by giving him a minute to explain himself and why his heart rate was up and why his right. blood pressure was up, I was able to maintain his blood pressure medication without increasing it. So there are a lot of problems uh, when it comes to communication is huge. And that's what I, I, I try to, you know, I try to listen to both patients and, right. and my, you know, myself, and that's how we come up with solutions. So you're not the only person who shares that um, feeling. So this next question is not fair to you because you're a black nurse. Um, that's okay. Do you think that, you know, as black people, you know, when we get to the hospital, um, there are times that when I'm trying to sort of express myself or sort of tell, you know, the, the, care patient care providers mm -hmm. how I'm feeling mm -hmm. there are times that you think because of those preconceived notions of quote-unquote colored people or black people mm -hmm. um, certain things that I say are you know not regarded in the discussion that I'm having with the doctor right so for example if I if I'm like oh you know I I, I have a headache right so here's here's a good example I have this friend who uh, is from Nigeria, mm -hmm. um, he has been complaining about the same, you know, ear pain for six months, right? And he mm -hmm. goes to the hospital, they're like, oh, you know, they, they look at it, oh, it's fine, you know, take some antibiotics, it's fine. Six months later, he ends up in the emergency room, um, and then they're like, oh, there's a growth in your ear, right? And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, he, you've been talking about this for six months, and you've been seeing, they've been looking at your chart for six months, like, why does it take six months? For you to pass mm -hmm. out, go to the hospital and see that, well, there's a growth in there, right? Mm -hmm. And if I look at, you know, some of my white friends who complain about, you know, smaller things, like, oh, mm -hmm. like, you know, I have this wrong with me, you go to the hospital, a month later, like, oh, you have a tumor, let's take it out, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm just trying to figure out, you know, as a Black person, mm -hmm. you know, looking at our Black identities, are we disadvantaged? when we go to the hospital or are we not? <laughs> in a way, 
in a way, yes. You know, there, there, there's. It's not just one if one factor thing, or it's not black and and black and white. It's a great mm -hmm. thing, and when you when you consider when you start considering how we're treated, at in, in the emergency department or any healthcare facility, right. it's you you need to consider, um, you you need to consider the racial the racial disparity, like the, just the racial difference, the preconceived um, perceptions that other members of other racial groups already have about black people. Yeah. You also need to look at uh, the power dynamic when and in, in, in just the education level, right. because I guarantee you when I see the way we talk to someone who does not have any knowledge of healthcare or disease management or even just school in general. Right. It, it, there's a difference between when I'm talking to my patient who, fit, who, is, who has a PhD and a patient who didn't go to college right. or didn't finish high school, there's a difference. With with so all those things play, and when it comes to, I think when it comes to healthcare and black people, I feel like we do not take charge. Mm. When a white person right. comes yep. to the hospital, most of white people, right? right? So when they come to the hospital, they're most of them because. And this is something they're used to. Maybe it's the comfort level. Maybe, I'm, I'm not sure, but there's a like I said, there's a lot of factors that play into it. Right. One thing that I know makes a difference: the more you know about your own body, right? The more you know about your own history, the more you take care of yourself, the better care you're going to get, whether you're white, you're white or black. Right. Yep. Okay. Ah, so yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. A lot of our, and, and again, our Africans, I feel like Africans give more respect to, to doctors than Americans do. Like the respect, right. Americans still do, white people still do give doctors respect, but the respect that Africans give to a doctor, they look at you like you're a god. Right, yeah. What yep. you say. So if I tell you, if you have <laughs> yeah. a cyst and I tell you it's a tumor, right. black people and Africans don't take the time to go find a second opinion. They, yeah. they take yep. that and True. run with it. True. Yep. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. do their own research. They don't do anything like that. So when you come to, when you, if, if you're a patient, and I always tell my parents this, I was like, when you go to the doctor and you, t if you've been having a pain, if the pain is new, of course, pain could be caused by anything. Right. But if you know you've been suffering for something for six months and the doctor is not doing enough for you, you need to voice that. Right. Yep. You need to say, doctor, I know yep. my own body. I, I've been suffering with this for six months. I'm not leaving right. here until you, you do all the tests that you can do. Yeah. And we have no choice but to do your test, the yeah. test to do everything. Right. Because you know what? There's a liability. But if I tell you, oh, your pain is nothing, um, go home and take some time <laughs> right. and sleep. Yep. And sleep, sleep it off. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, yeah. And then we let it go. Like yeah. I have yeah. patients, like white patients that will come and say, I'm not leaving here until you do a CT scan of my head. Because this is not normal. But right. and again, yep. because as Africans, we don't take the time to actually invest in our own bodies or to even trust our own instinct. Right. We take whatever they tell us. Right. Yep. That makes we sense. We don't question that it. We don't sense. do it. Yeah. 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 So do you think that contributes? Well, I'm sure it somehow contributes to the um, the disparities, right? Um, you know, and some of it is our own fault, you know, and I get what you're saying. 
but some of it too, I feel like is the 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 system and the structures in place Most that definitely. contributes to the disparity. Um, Most definitely. Let's talk a little bit about you know the health disparities, right? You know, and what else do you think contributes to those disparities of like you know young black people dying early, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know young black people you know getting diabetes and heart diseases, like so. And again, going to the heart, what else contributes to those um, health disparities? besides I, racism yeah. <laughs> the legacy of racism <laughs> <laughs> you know there's this right yeah there's still the issue of uh black people in general not being not being listened listened to right i remember like we, we've learned in 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 um a good a good a good example would be about pain there's been a lot of discussion about pain okay mm -hmm. um, yeah pain management and the, and the birthing uh, women birthing process yeah. Yeah. how you know black women tend to get less pain medication or anesthesia or, because somehow we're in any you know we're regarded as these people that don't hurt right as yep. if our, our, our pain, pain. Yep. exactly our pain intolerance pain. Yeah. is somehow higher than other racial groups so right. and it not only that in a black people we I, I like i said we we give them that too a black person before they ask for pain medication it's mm -hmm. like they have to tough it up a right. black person does does not show up in the er unless they're about to die yeah do <laughs> that do that yep their blood pressure yeah. you would tell them you have high blood yeah. pressure which is 140 over 90 if it's above that you have high blood pressure you have hypertension you need to start making taking medication right a, a, you know, a black person would check their blood pressure at home. It would be over 160, 170, and they would not go to the emergency department mm. and, until either they're about, they've already had a stroke or they're about to stroke out. Right. Their blood pressure is in the 200. Too high, yeah. Like, Ma'am, sir, <laughs> why are we waiting until we have right. a headache with a blood pressure of 200 when you could have came when it was 170, 160? Right. right. So yeah. we yeah. give them, you know, we, we add to the legacy of racism, those preconceived like, oh, we don't tolerate pain or, I mean, we tolerate pain um, better or longer than other racial yeah. groups. And so there's so, there's so much at play. Yeah. So and also the fact that we don't have enough, you know, there's only, there's a very, not even 10%, not even 5%, I forgot what the exact percentage is, but healthcare providers who, uh, the ratio, uh, the rate of healthcare providers per um, oh, yeah, per, per population yeah, per, capita, yeah, per capita, it yeah. is not when you compare yep. to whites, right. we don't have enough black uh, black providers who right. can advocate yep. for our own people. True, true. You know what I mean. So yeah. when a white when a black person, what, you don't know how happy my my black patients see me when they see me, especially as a as a nurse, they're used to seeing black nurses, right. but, but as a nurse practitioner, nurse practitioner when they yep, walk yep. In into my clinic and they find out that I'm the, I'm the main person taking care of them, right? Yep. it's like they have this huge smile and they can't Dude, wait I'll to come back. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you move to our city so I can like tell my kids to come see you? Because yeah, so like, just yeah. Not, yeah, not having enough of our people in the healthcare yeah. um, world is also uh, adds to the to the issue so why why is all this a taboo to talk about why is it so hard for healthcare providers to talk about these things i mean i mean we need to talk about it to resolve it so again racism aside right and we can talk through some of these issues and find solutions for them why don't people want to talk about it 
because people don't want to be labeled as troublemakers. They don't want to be labeled as anything other than what they are. Honestly, that's what it comes down to, I, in my opinion. Yeah. People huh. don't want to be labeled. You know, like when I, I put yeah. myself out there by talking about these things, right. you know, and I do get DMs from some people. Some A lot more people appreciate what I say. But as you know me, I'm very, I'm very straightforward. I'm very yep. honest. Yep. And, yep. you know, I don't really don't. I'm, it's not about it's not a popularity contest out here. I'm I'm about telling the truth. And, right. You're doing your thing. Facts. Yep. <laughs> and that's what I'm about. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you like me or not, as far as, you know, as long as you you know the truth. And the yep. facts. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of that fear um, of just retaliation. Yep. Fear of yep. retaliation. Yep. So yep. Yeah. yeah, there's no, a lot I get of that. I get that, and I, re I I respect what you just said. Again, first of all, I'm, I'm one of your biggest fans. You might not know, but I'm one of your biggest fans. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing you. You, you know, too. Don't, say don't, the feelings don't mutual. Let, don't don't let anybody like be like, yeah, you can't say that. Yeah, whatever. Screw that, man. Um, <laughs> You know, but yeah, you know, it, it's funny, the fear of retaliation thing, even as a black man in somewhat of a prominent position, there's certain things that I would never say at work or certain conversations that I don't want to be involved in because even though, you know, I know, you know, all my bosses and you know, at the highest level, you know, they're like, oh yeah, Eddie, just be yourself, just be yourself. Internally, I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I'll be myself until I say something. And exactly. Then all of a certain, I can't be myself anymore, right? Exactly. So, so it's like, as, as a black man or as a black woman, I'm sure you feel the same way. You can never be your full, 100% authentic self in the workplace because of no. that retaliation. Right? Exactly. Let me flip that around a little bit. As a nurse, right? Uh -huh. A black nurse, um, when you were doing sort of like uh, um, um, inpatient care, right? Mm -hmm. Seeing people. And when there's the sickest vulnerable time ever had a white person tell you, um, yeah, I don't want to see this black person or colored person nurse. Right. They don't they don't want you providing care to them because you're black. Absolutely. I mean, they don't say it to you. They never did. I had I had a what actually I said this in one of my my videos on Instagram. I had I had a. Um, this older, she wasn't even that that old, that much older. She was in her seventies, I believe. But I had a patient call me the N word, like yeah. <laughs> as if it was nothing. And then after wow. she said it, she, you know, all of a sudden she was like, she has dementia. Like, no, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, like you know, you know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know. So yep, yep. when it comes to a patient refusing care because of your color. Now, it's never, you know, when we first started uh, recording this, you said, I, I feed off of your energy. I watch your facial expression and your yeah. body language, yeah. and I feed off of that. It's the same thing when you're taking care of patients. Right. You can see, so if I walk into a patient and, you know, they were just, I can, because you can hear patients, the doors are, they're open. Yep. Most yep. of our doors are open. Yeah. So if their, their previous nose was Caucasian, and they were laughing and then you walk in to, they you know because when you when you before you do shift change shift change meaning the patient you know the day shift is going the night shift is coming so you're doing shift change we go into a room to introduce whoever is living introduces the upcoming um nurse and uh it's like the nurse was just the previous nurse was just in there and they're laughing with the patient and in the minute right. you walk in there with the other nurses like the facial expression changes mm. like i haven't even said mm -hmm. a word right yep 
you know what I mean? Like, yep, yeah. And yeah. I see, I still see it to this day as a nurse practitioner. I see it, um, and it's very sad. And it's almost like the very, the very, uh, the first impression is where you. That's how we pick it up. Right. Yeah. That's how we pick it up. It's very easy to pick up. They don't have to say it to you. And um, several times you will hear people say, you know, all of a sudden you just your your charge nurse who's you know kind of like the shift supervisor, right. if you will, will just tell you, oh, uh, we're gonna change a patient. I'm gonna give you room ten, and we're gonna give Jessica room three. It's like I just right. got here. Yeah. Uh, what could have gone wrong? I hadn't said a thing. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's that obvious. And other time, but they ne I've never yeah. had anyone say, um, right. you know, say it to me, but they act it out. And it's very easy to pick up, especially <laughs> after eight years in nursing. Yeah. It's very easy yeah. to pick up. That's crazy because they don't even, they don't, they don't even, you know, try to lie about it, right? No. Like, oh. <laughs> the like, actions oh, are so loud. Right, it's, right. Yeah, the right. actions are so loud. People are just people are they're special <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to look at it people people, people are special, are special yeah so and they're what, very complex yeah 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 so you do a lot of traveling um I do. what has been your favorite place to visit so far oh my gosh i love california it's expensive i wouldn't live there but i yeah. love 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 california and to be specific mostly uh, san diego yes i spent yep. six weeks there i was working nice. i was helping with their uh when the surge was really really hit california san yep. diego got hit really bad so i went to help out there and it was amazing yeah um, me and my nice cousin yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah me and my I cousin like say uh what how does that do we say we have this phrase that we came up with we say um saving lives while enjoying life or living life while saving lives that's, that's what's up <laughs> yep. you got to do it right <laughs> so yeah and again just finding that balance when i'm at work i'm doing my thing but when i'm yeah. at home yeah hey i'm yeah. i'm, You're living I'm it up. booking yes i'm yeah. booking excursion yeah. on airbnb and doing everything i could nice. and just nice. Uh, I do a lot of yoga. A lot of nurses are into yoga because the, the mind, you know, mind right. you that, exercising, yeah. yep. just meditation. It doesn't have to be yoga, any meditation. It could be reading the Bible or, you know, going to yeah. church or talking to family members. So, yeah. yeah. So talking about reading the Bible and uh, um, going to church, where does faith come into this whole journey for you? Oh, my gosh. Faith is huge. I've, I grew up in a Christian home I, as a Catholic, but yep. now I'm, I'm more of a uh I don't even know what a non-denominational. You're just a god God-fearing, God-fearing, God-loving, Jesus-fearing woman. That's, that's, a Bible-believing Christian. Yeah. Yep. I really, yep. whether you're Catholic <laughs> or... Um, yeah, so faith is huge. And again, like just my survival and growing up in a, in, in a Christian home, my, mo my mother prays a lot. Um, yeah. She's She's like a she's the one that fasts she fasts like five days a week and yep. she's very into it she's gotten even stronger and she's got me into that um and just you know i haven't i'm more faith driven now than i used to be but mm. god has always been in my life yeah god has always been in my life my, my mother really did a great job of teaching us that we're only here because of god's mercy and grace you know so that has only grown um as i got as i'm getting older i'm really realizing that it's really a blessing that I'm here and I'm very lucky right. to be here. Yeah. And yeah, so God so, is huge <laughs> in my life.
Yeah, and I mean, uh, God is good. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, it's some of us. You know, I honestly say, you know, I think God saved us, save our lives for a purpose, right? Because you yes. go through certain things, and you just like, man, I, I, I was stupid back then. Yeah, I was stupid not too long ago, but like, <laughs> God put certain people in my life to like remove me from Babylon yeah. <laughs> like, or Sodom and Gomorrah and Seriously. Like, I'm glad thank you Jesus I didn't even burn back there because <laughs> I had a purpose you know and I yes. think God has a purpose for you and I mean going back to like just you know your story of like you know fighting to stay alive to like now you know being, being an awesome influencer and just you know saving lives it, it's just it's, it's a powerful story so right now in your life, having gone mm-hmm. through what you've gone through and, mm-hmm. you know, having gone through, you know, I don't like almost dying and then surviving all of that and then going to nursing school and making it and, you know, and now you're, you know, doing great, right? You're self-care, mental health aware and all of that. Like, what do you think as a Black woman, right? Mm-hmm. Not a Black nurse, as a Black woman, what do you think like your your flaws are right and i ask because i want to know what could possibly prevent you mm-hmm. besides yourself yeah from being the best version of yourself uh what could prevent me from being the very version okay so that's i think i think i self sabotage a lot mm, and <laughs> you know we more. all there's why, why, no... why are you sabotaging yourself <laughs> i think fear of what um just uh and guilt of what i think for me it's guilt not okay. necessarily fear but just the guilt of as you know i have siblings yep. and um not all my siblings that are as is lucky is I've gotten I'm very uh, I guess one of now I'm looking at it as my flaw is like I'm very driven very I don't know if you've noticed that determined and I could be very I could be ambitious if I want something and I say ambition in, in a very good way not like money ambition but when I want something if I want to get something accomplished right. I will get it accomplished it for instance if I want to apply for a scholarship and I really want that scholarship I will stay up for 48 hours you know you know for instance and um so there's a guilt of because the people that i grew up with even my own siblings they're i'm the only out of my four siblings i'm the only one who has graduated college and and i'm at the point where i am and it's that guilt of saying god why me there are four of us why why me you you know why, why do you why why do you feel guilty about that though so I, I and I asked that and and I'm I'm intentionally asking that question because yeah I know I know what you're saying I know where you're coming from again you know I'm the oldest out of you know um you know all of you know kids and you know I have like you know my parents adopt a whole bunch of other people that live with us and stuff like that right mm-hmm. you know and you know you've gone through life you know you've quote unquote pay your dues and you are where you are because you know, you work at, you work hard at it, you have the support that you needed, and you, mm-hmm. you've gotten to a space that you know what you're capable of, right? Mm-hmm. Why do you feel guilty of your success? 
And again, it's it's again when the when you get to the I guess this is what their spiritual my 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 non spiritual and non spiritual minds clash mm -hmm. because the non spiritual part of me tells me you've done this, you worked hard, mm -hmm. you you stayed up. I don't know if you remember we used to have this the the all nighters uh, oh God, sessions yeah. during yeah. finals at the University yep. of Iowa Harding <laughs> Library. Yep. Um, you know, so my non spiritual mind tells me you did this, you did this, you manifested this, you did this, and then I have yeah. my spiritual mind and my religious mind telling me, no, girl, God did this. Right. You. It doesn't matter how much how hard you've worked. God did this because if you yeah. didn't want you to have, you know, so there's two, those two mind flashing because I also know people that work as hard as me, but they're not, they haven't been gone as far as me. And, but then, you know, then I have to, to really talk to myself and say, it hasn't, it's not their time. It's not, everyone has their time. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going back and forth. Yeah. You know, that's where the guilt come from. When I mean my spiritual self, I am very, that's why I'm very grateful. I'm grateful grateful to God. So I start, so there's that asking, I'm like, God, I had friends who are, and they're still back home. They're the same age as me. We lived in the same neighborhood. We went through the same war, so many of the same. So, I, and again, yes. it's just, why did I make it to America? And they didn't. And I'm very grateful and I'm very thankful. Right. This is all part of me trying to find out why I'm here. Right. Back What's my purpose. purpose? What's the purpose? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So this part of it, so that guilt is just, it's me, it's not necessarily guilt in a bad way, but it's me also trying to ask God, you have something for me because you, you picked me. So you must have something for me. Okay. So what you're talking about is, um, is opportunity for growth, right? Because mm -hmm. you, 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 you don't settle. You're not settling because mm -hmm. you're now you've made it. So you're okay, which is, which is, which a lot of people do, right? A lot of people, mm -hmm. they get to a point in their life and they're just like, you know what? Oh, I feel good. Right. I make mm -hmm. good money. I have a good job. I, I can travel. That's it. I'm done. Right. I, I'm almost mm -hmm. up here. Right. But what you're describing is you want more, your mind wants more, your spirit wants more, your heart mm -hmm. wants more. What are you going to do about it? That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> I believe I say this, each one pull one. Okay. That's, that's, that's my, that's my next step. Okay. I believe, you know, like my cousin, I have my, my cousin's like my best friend. And I talk to her um, a lot. Fatsi. Hey, Fatsi, if you're listening. Yep. <laughs> so um, each one pull one. So I, my, my cousin says, Oh, you at the, you on the promised land. I'm like, okay, I'm on the promised land, but others are not, there are so many people that are not, that could be here with me. Right. Now, what I'm, what I'm discovering that may be my purpose. So my part of my purpose is that maybe I'm here to help other people. Right. And that's what I want to do it. When I, when I'm on Instagram and I'm talking, it's, it's so natural. It comes naturally, just like what you're doing right now it comes to you naturally. You didn't even have as a skit, like we're just talking yeah. and you know, the passion. I don't, I, I don't have any paper. I'm not writing anything exactly. down. I'm just like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, authenticity is huge. It's, I think that's one thing we have in common is just being authentic. And yeah. because it comes naturally, I want to tap into, I'm, I believe in that anything that comes naturally to you do that because right. that's something that it could be either a gift or, you know, it's in your genetics. So it, it's a gift from God. So tap into it. You will do amazing things. And to me, talking comes naturally. Teaching yeah. comes naturally. Caring about people comes naturally. And these are things that I, I'm, I'm tapping into. 
and hoping that using this social media will reach a lot more people than I would have if I, you know, I had meetings uh, in right, person. Right. Yep. Yeah, yep. So. Right on. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. See, I told you we had a lot to uncover. <laughs> um, we have a lot to detangle. We're talking to Jeanette Lavi, yes. um, which means life. Hey, listen, the beautiful, the amazing, the determined nurse Lavi. I'm going to give you two minutes. Talk to the world, right? You have <laughs> two minutes. What do you want to tell the world in two minutes? <laughs> I want to tell the world that anything, and I know this sounds like a cliche, but anything is possible if you put your mind into, and if you, if you trust yourself. No one is ever going to trust you more than you trust you. Mm. No one knows you more than you know you. So anything, if it's so like I, you've been listening to my story, you know how crazy it's been. And I just believe if I can get through what I've gone through mm. and still make it to where I am, you can do the same. It's not going to be easy. It might take years, but it's, it might take hard work, but just trust in yourself and trust in the process and trust God because you cannot do anything without him. Uh, when it comes to the health side, I just want to tell all my Africans, please <laughs> talk to them, talk to them, <laughs> <laughs> especially when it comes to this COVID thing, please don't, don't make decisions for yourself. Don't, when it comes to like the COVID thing, don't take the vaccine because someone's pastor's uncle's cousin told you it was bad, right? Please make decisions for yourself and do your research and just you know make your own decisions not because your family your family pastor told you so um i'm not going to convince anybody to to take or not take the vaccine i'm just saying make sure that if you're doing it or not doing it it's because you've done your own research and not because someone convinced you not to or not because of some um conspiracy theory that has right. no proof right. whatsoever follow the facts if Americans or white people wanted to kill you, they would use your blood pressure medication to kill <laughs> you. They would, <laughs> they would use food. Please tell them. Please tell they them. will use rice. <laughs> they will use your cars, your phones. Africans love phones. Don't let that vaccine, you know. So just make decisions for yourself and please care about your health because without your health, really. You really can't do much. You can't go to work. You can't help your family. So just care about your work, your your health. Always ask questions. Don't depend on doctors and nurses to tell, to know everything about you because we see you for a very short term, short period of time. But you know yourself more than more than anyone knows you. So just take charge of your health. And uh, I love you guys. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Awesome, awesome. Hey, you heard it from Nurse Lavi. You know, when you're talking, you remind me of a quote from Devin Booker. And he's like, I wouldn't limit myself to nothing. I feel like I am the limitless. And that's what you're talking about, right? Do not limit yourself. Um, just, you know, get out there and make a change. Get out there and be the difference that you can be. You yes. know, and that's the best you can do, right? Yes. You are limitless, my friend. Keep doing we all you. are, really. We Keep all are. You. Keep doing <laughs> Thank you. And you. I can't wait to have you back. 
especially having you Fachi back on it's gonna be amazing Thank again you, you know me. this is this is like an executive summary of your life and our discussion you know I'm definitely gonna have you back we're gonna talk more and tangle <laughs> you know Thank you so much for having me. me this has been fun yeah no <laughs> doubt no doubt no doubt so Thank you so much, Sal, coming through. We'll continue to talk.